Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends. Welcome one more time to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Again, I'm John Russin, your ever-present host. My dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, is at the other side of the microphone. How are you doing today, my friend? Doing very good, John. Enjoying Jesus in a dark world, so. That's right. You know, <laughs> life stinks uh, very often, but Jesus never does. And uh, <laughs> listeners, if you join for the first time today, you've caught us in the middle of an ongoing series that we call The Power of Story, where we do some deeper dives into the lives of believers, women, and men who who know Christ as Savior and as Lord, and most importantly, as their very life. Our guest last episode and this has been our dear friend, Mr. Bobby Allen. He is the founder and CEO of Legacy Leadership and Coaching. And last episode, we didn't talk much about that, but we will this time because we are interested to hear how his journey with the Savior has manifested into his leadership and coaching operation ministry, really more so than anything. So, Bobby, thanks again for joining us today, my friend. We're glad you can make it back. What a privilege. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, John. It's my honor. Ours as well. Now, Bobby, last time you joined us, uh, we left off. You were talking about uh, going through seminary, and you went to Dallas Seminary, and the encouragement you received to reapply, get readmitted, and we ended our episode with an encouragement to all of our listeners to be an encouragement to those around you. Yes. So, Bobby, we want to pick up right there with seminary, okay? You're in seminary, you're fixing to graduate, you're already married. What did Jesus have for you next? Well, one of the things that would be very instrumental for me is Jesus has been faithful to bring mentors and coaches into my life from day one, people who have been handpicked by him at every season of my life to share with me the next step of growth in Christ. And it's been a pattern that I've seen in the faithfulness of our God to keep raising me. You know, he's the only father that I've ever experienced being raised by. So I've become very intimately acquainted with how he takes care of me as his little boy. And uh, I just love him so much. Uh, this morning I say good morning. I, I try to beat him to it. I try to beat him to say good morning before he says good morning to me every morning. And this morning I got him. I said, good morning, Father. <laughs> what do you want to say and do and think through me today? I got an agenda, but it could be so far off yours. Let me just rest here until you tell me, tell me what's up on your heart today. Wow, what and a great way to what, begin the day, my friend. Yeah, I don't do yeah, I don't do that every single day, but it's it's a it's just well, I've kind of learned to be, I've never been tucked in and said goodnight to by my dad on the and I never heard a dad say good morning. So my heavenly father since 1980 has said good morning and good night to me. And uh, I am so grateful. Uh, you and I, Frank, and, and so many others have been raised with either absent fathers or fathers who are so far 
from the picture of what our heavenly father mm. is. And so we grow up with voids. And yeah. most importantly, we don't have any role models. So as we become adults and husbands and fathers, we don't really have a template. And so our father miraculously for all of us wants to step in and be that model for us. And I see yeah. he's done that for you. How did that begin, my friend? He sent uncles into my life um, and all of them had unique unique things to do for me as a role model for a father figure. And then he would continue that when I met him to send his people into my life every step of the way to raise me. And it was an amazing, beautiful expectancy that I began to see here comes another person that's going to take me to another season. When I got to Dallas Theological Seminary, it was Chaplain Bill Bryan and Prof. We called him Howard Hendricks. Uh, Prof. His name's Howard Hendricks. At the time, he was a renowned speaker and author and leader. And I just, uh, Father, put it on my heart to pursue him. And I asked if I can carry his books. Can I follow him? Can I take walk to him when he goes to his car? Can I get you anything? <laughs> And boy, I would not leave him alone. I wouldn't leave Chaplain Bill Bryan alone. And finally, Chaplain Bill, I called him Chap. He said, he said, buddy, why don't you and I meet every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. It's a 7 to prayer. And I said, man, I'd be honored. So for two years, Chap tucked me under his wing and taught me, buddy, credibility comes with high visibility with people. Love the people, buddy. Love the people. When in doubt, love the people. And then... I pursued Howard Hendricks, and about six months, he finally said, hey, Alan, I'm going to go on a leadership conference, and I'm going to go to North Carolina. You want to tag along? And I was like, I thought I was dreaming. I said, I'm not, yeah. He said, make all the arrangements, and let's go, and I'll be there a week, and blah, blah, blah. And boy, I, I, I didn't know if I was supposed to, but I made sure we shared a room. I didn't even get two rooms. And I just want to be around Prof. And um, that was the, you know, Prof was a diabetic. So we go, he have to work out every morning, walk around the campus of the hotel. And yeah, all right, Alan, ready? Fire away. And that meant ask your questions and he'll answer. Ask your questions and he'll answer. And he just, every time would just tell me, fire away, Alan. And uh, he tucked me under his wing for four years. And um, I don't tell many people this, but if I may just brag about our father, when I was in North Carolina with him, he said, hey, man, I'm going to go to one of my friend's house. You want to tag along? I said, yes, sir. And I said, I'll just, he said, bring your, your pen and your, your, your paper. And I said, yes, sir. Long story short, all these people walking in that I knew were college presidents and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I found myself in the living room of Billy Graham's house. Billy Graham and he are friends and um, at the time. And uh, father taught me, I'm raising you up to be a leader of leaders. And here's your first test. I don't want you to tell anybody that you've been in this house until I tell you, you can. Confidentiality in a man of God is critical, son. Say nothing to no one. Didn't hear a voice. I just knew that he was saying, this is for you and me for now. You'll get life out of it. You'll be a glory robber. You'll get identity from it. It's just going to be bad news. So for over a decade, I told not a soul until he said, you can share now because you don't need to and you don't want to. 
And so when it came up, like now, I would share it. So what that meant was Prof would be able to, to teach me and mentor me. And he gave me an office in the Hendricks Leadership Center. I just couldn't believe it that I had an office in the, while I was a student in the Hendricks Leadership Center. And he would teach me first thing. I'd only been married since 1986. I went to uh, Dallas Seminary in 87. I was a newlywed through my whole time there. He used to sit down with me. He said, hey, Alan. I don't care what you do outside the home. I don't care how many people chant your praises, how many books, how many people in your church, how many radio programs you're on. If it's not working in your home and your marriage, it's not working. I said, yes, sir. So every day he'd say, how's your bride? I say, she's doing good. He said, ours, us, we, it's not me, my, or mine. And he said, tell your wife every day what you do at the seminary, and make sure she stays a participant. Don't let her become a spectator. So the first thing Prof did is he told me, nothing matters more than your bride. People come and people go. Your bride is going to be called by God. You're going to love her and she's going to love you. And that's the test of a man of God. Hmm. You know, Bobby, that's, um, that's exactly the way Jesus treats us. It's all about the bride and finding in the groom uh, who she is really. So as you went through seminary, you sat under the dynamic prof and this dear chaplain, um, you're getting prepared for ministry and yet you still don't yet know um, that Jesus didn't want to be just Lord and Savior. He wanted to be life. Yes. So how did that come about? I ended up traveling Western Eastern Europe, doing leadership conferences and teaching about weakness and frailty and the grace of God and not trusting ourselves, but had no clue of our identity or Christ as life. And I saw God doing amazing things. Um, it was then that I had a call when we got back to the States after seeing God do amazing things in nine different countries that uh, someone in Southern California who used to be on the student council with me, I was the president of the spiritual life um, board and uh, for the school in DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth area, and he was the president of the student body. He said, man, I'm, I got a ministry out here that's just flying. He said, man, I want you. I want you with me. So I thought, man, I, I'm going to go be a pastor. Okay. So we signed up, had one daughter at the time. We went there. And that was my first experience of my training for reigning to come to the end of myself. By the time I got there, this Dallas grad had gone through five other pastors within a year each. Any pastor whose ministry would be seen by him as more powerful, more numbers, or greater, he would set them up to be destroyed put the blood on their hands and have the elders look at them as they need to get rid of them. And when I, I was green as green, I had never, I didn't even know stuff like that happened in the body of Christ. And then that's when I got the privilege for the first time to share in the fellowship of the sufferings. It took him a year. He's, he set me up ministries. God started blessing under my watch. And I was just grateful. I had, I wasn't in competition with anybody. I just, was loving people. I had five major areas that I was covering and 
and God was just blessing them. And I learned about manipulation and setting people up and competition. It was just a terrible, terrible nightmare. But yet he was one of the most gifted speakers and gifted leaders I had ever seen at Dallas grad. He was mesmerizing. So it was a big wake up call. So we called Dottie Connor back at seminary and told her what we were going through. And she said, here's two books, A Tale of Three Kings and Crucified by Christians by Gene Edwards. Read them. Don't defend yourself and don't involve the sheep. And that's what we did. And uh, he finally, about a year during Christmas, he came in and gave me, he said, I'm gonna give you a Christmas present. You're fired and threw a bunch of boxes in there and set us up. And it was terrible because my first thought is how come, why is everybody believing this? And we were instructed not to defend ourselves. So it was during this time I journaled every day and I was beginning to understand that I needed to become weak that he could become strong. Just beginning to understand the crucified life. Didn't know labels, didn't fully get it. I just knew that ministry could not be about me, but I didn't know what to do with it. I just knew it was excruciating to go through. So we made it through those two books, which were a blessing. And we ended up going to Northern California and then we ended up pastoring a church by we started helping them and coaching them and, and helping the board. A church blew up and they heard that I was doing church leadership and church development and training developing pastors. And they asked if I could help out. And long story short, that turned into us becoming the lead pastors of that church. And then uh, during that time, I began to see a pattern in my life that as Pastor Bob, I had the most beautiful relationships. As leader, Bob, certain personalities, certain situations with the leadership hat on, I would get in conflicts and I would hurt people, hurt and be hurt. Always wipe it up and, and mop it up, but it just began to be an issue. And, and so later God would begin to show me, I pastored like my mom loved me unconditionally. And at times I led like my dad abused me verbally and emotionally. And my background of sports, I just had a champion mentality. I, I just didn't know how to lead in Christ by the spirit. I led as an athlete to just be champion and take charge and win. And so I would cry in private with my bride. We would just say, Lord, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. I love these people so much. Sometimes I get in conflicts. So through that, I learned, God, I can't depend on myself. I don't know what to do. This is bigger than I am. I began to say, I don't know what to do. This was bringing me to the end of myself more and more. And then finally, I planted a church and just, you know, helped a few other churches with their, with their leadership, sold a commercial building. And I was just doing multi-task leadership things that Jesus can do through me for the bandwidth he's given me. I was helping four other ministries while planning a church. And then I went out to this new area with a leadership team and a, and, and a bunch of people from day one, we just hit the ground running this new community. We never quit growing for three years and my emotional of a mess life 
um, would catch up with me. And um, I didn't know it back then, but my I was not healthy emotionally and relationally. Leadership, the Bible and ministry, loving people, amazing. But I was so emotionally wounded from years of abuse. The last thing that I knew how to surrender and yield and see Christ in was in my emotions and my relationships. I, and I've come to realize ever since then that I'm not alone. There's so many leaders and pastors and people in the church, their name is Legion, that know everything about the Bible and God and ministry. But when it comes to relationships and emotions, not so much. And so this later would become my demise. That church ended up blowing up. It was very public. Uh, quote-unquote successful, known in the California area, and so it was very public, and uh, I was set up by three pastors in some ways that were jealous of our growth, and um, God allowed people to write stuff on the internet, and God had already taught me through Prof and Billy Graham, don't defend yourself, don't say anything, so things were written about me in the paper and on the internet, and for years, don't defend yourself. And when I started learning, because God would be faithful through that to meet a guy, because we, we transitioned into a house church, just so wounded and so just hurt and destroyed by what happened with some of my staff and some of the pastors of the undermining and the people I hurt. So after a while, I realized that I couldn't do even do ministry. I couldn't do anything. So I started waking up saying, God, I, I don't even want to breathe unless I check in with you. I'm hurt beyond hurt. I'm just devastated. My kids are devastated. We don't know what to do. And then I met someone named Leela Faber. And uh, God, again, faithfully brings every mentor and coach into my life when needed. And I met him through John Best, who I met at seminary. He was holding these things called Exchange Life Ministries Conferences. John told me a little bit about it, but I never got involved. Later, I would be introduced to a guy named Lefebvre, Lee Lefebvre, and he said, why don't you come to a conference in Southern California I'm doing? So I told him a little bit about what I'm sharing now. Boy, I went to that conference, took 10 of my people. Man. Every single word he said was like Jesus himself. I would have to go during every break and go to the car and weep and just feel like I was being born again, again. Like the, the power of God was just opening my mind and my eyes. And he was talking about weakness and surrender and their journey to the cross. And, and I was just like, oh, that's, that's, that's me. That's what I've been Oh my goodness, everything was connecting, all the dots were connecting. I said, what's this thing called? And I would, like I did with Prof and every other, but I would, I said, hey, would you, can I get any of your time? Can I buy you lunch? Can I carry your books? Can I follow you to, on the breaks? And um, he would just share with me every day of that conference and just listen to me and, and just say, brother, you are coming to understand the message of Christ is life. Mm. And I said, what is that? What is that? He said, 
I want to train you and teach you. I want you to come to Colorado. I want to learn. I want to pour into you. Mm. I just wept. I just said, please, I got nothing. I got nothing. Wow. You know, Bobby, um, I've known Lee for many, many years. Um, one of the most beautiful hearts I think you'll ever know. Um, I would not define Lee as a great speaker. Yeah. Uh, but he's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of charisma. Uh, there's not a lot of intensity and passion and inflection of voice. But my goodness, is he a teacher? And mm. you hang on almost every word he says, because virtually every word he says is leading us to the living Jesus. Um, he begets life. He has received it, experienced it. He releases it and people catch it. And that is such a great story that John Best, another dear friend, Leela Faber, these different men were used of the spirit to bring you to an understanding that Jesus is not just Lord, not just savior, but he wants to be life to us. So Bobby, tell us if you would tell our listeners what sort of transformation took place now. You know, there's a lot of transformation when we first get saved and it's wonderful. We know him as Lord and Savior, but the dynamic of Christ as life brings a, an extra intensity almost to uh, our walk. Can you tell us about that? What sort of transformation took place when you gained that understanding? Almost immediately, he just began to let me know, son, you have a double lie, a self-limiting belief that has been etched into your heart and burned on the back of your eyelids that has become a stronghold. Your performance plus other people's opinions equals your worth and your value. And you brought that into your Christianity with all the sincerity and commitment and honesty you could muster up. You've never not loved me. You've never not loved people. That's not been your issue ever. You've been genuinely giving your life away. But you've had to be taken aside to be taught the scriptures more accurately. And I needed you to know that I was preparing you to be a leader of leaders. And that your beating would be their blessings and your pain would be their pleasure. Your restlessness was going to become their rest. I needed you to feel the depths. So you just didn't teach leaders. You just didn't instruct because I've called you to speak powerfully and you can move them with your personality and charisma. I needed you to feel the pain and the hurt that accompanies people I've called to steward my thoughts and ideas and to make them come to life in their lifetime. And so I had no clue what he was saying. If I did, I never would have signed up, I'm sure, because it's been brutal at times. But it was that you're, and I began to understand at the, it just, after that church blew up, Lee said, I would, I'm, he had told me, I'm gonna be retiring pretty soon. I'm looking for a successor. He said, you have a leadership gifting that is rare in people who understand that Christ is life. Would you consider me grooming you? And then John Best said, hey, I would like to 
have you considered coming to Texas and letting me pour into you and groom you? So my wife and I prayed. I have family all over Colorado at the time, everywhere. I was born in Denver, Colorado. And surprising to me, I took one of, I took uh, part one and part two of what was then known as the Exchange Life, part one and part two from Lee in Colorado. And when I got to the advanced discipleship training, believe it or not, God led me to Texas and led me to go on staff with John Pest. And when I got there, um, I started um, realizing more and more um, who I wasn't and some of the things that I had done that were wood, hay, and, strokes, wood, wood, hay and, and stubbles ministries and leadership. It wasn't my heart, my love. It was just my ability to pull it off and abilities, gifts, talents, um, perseverance, commitment, dedication. And I began to read the Bible and everything came to life about works and performance. And it began to drip off the pages for me. And I began to, little by little, to have a distaste for a self-help Christianity and to be a glory robber and feel like I got to gut it out and be a champion for Christ. And one of the things he did for me while I was at Exchange Life Ministries, Texas, John and everybody knew that I was in deep healing and recovery and going through training, but I did not know. They were very unimpressed with everything we had done and, and we accomplished a lot. Um, I, was, I was managing a multi-million dollar budget and 21 ministries in our church and they were uninterested. I felt disrespected, unloved, unappreciated. No, they just weren't gonna glory in the flesh. And so I didn't know what they were doing, but they were used by God to take me back to square one. And so one night crying out in my office, I said, God, what do you want me to do? And the thought that came to my mind was read the Bible and see Jesus as a leader. That's all for a minute. Just what I've been teaching you about borrowing your skin and leading through you. I want you to see me doing that with Jesus. You have my permission. Just read and watch him talk to people. Watch how he led. Watch how he dealt with put the net on this side. Look listen and watch him lead. I did that for two years, changed my life. Um, and he, and during that time, he put me on a four and a half year timeout. He wouldn't let me lead a pencil. He wouldn't let me lead marbles across the table in a meeting. Um, I wouldn't get called to meetings. I felt disrespected, unloved. They wouldn't ask my opinions at things in meetings, at things I've done. And I just thought, what is wrong with these people? Why are they so rude and disrespectful? And um, I had pride and arrogance and self-serving mentality. And I still have a desire to be noticed and known and seen. and Just little inklings of these things that, that were still hemorrhaging around at times. And so it was during that time that he began to show me Christ is life. Bobby, in that I may scene. break in for a moment. Uh, listen to you talk. Uh, my mind goes to Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, in which he talks about us be, being shaped into vessels of honor. And for all of us, and your story certainly shows this was true for you, he has to empty the vessel of the stuff that is not of him before he can begin to fill the vessel with himself. 
Uh, emptied to be filled, I think, would be a very good phrase uh, to attach to the story you've just shared with us about your, your journey. Would you say so, Frank? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when you find the Holy Spirit as your source of life, it transforms everything you do. And Bobby, I guess, as we kind of wind this down, um, I want to understand from you how Christ's life is being used in your ministry to leaders. Yes. You know, most, most leadership uh, conferences, strategies, syllabuses, books are all about capturing and mastering your strengths and, you know, being all that you can be, where this message of Christ as life is about all that he is. So how do you bring Christ as life into the realm of leadership yes. where um, he's usually not mentioned? <laughs> brag about you in totality, but you know, he brings me pastors and leaders and churches, small, medium, and large, small, medium, and large companies, organizations of men and women whom he is loving and they're learning who he is, but they don't know how he is their life, both personally and professionally. And he's taking them on a journey and raising them sort of like I was raised. And the name of these numbers are the legion. There are so many pastors and ministries and leaders and elders and churches that are running off commitment and dedication and desire and doing it right. And, and they're, they're going to become an image making, they're personality driven and program driven and, and pastor driven. And, and people talk more about personality programs and pastors more than they do Jesus. And he began to immerse me in the world of what I call the paraphernalia gospel and the paraphernalia church, where everybody's mesmerized about everything about Christ while being void of intimacy with him at the same time. And I, I have been given the privilege to minister Christ's life to those leaders, pastors, leaders, churches, CEOs. Why? Because he gave me his gift, Romans 12, of leadership, but it's towel leadership, not title leadership. It is coming to the end of yourself leadership. And he is preparing people through life, struggles, successes. What I found in that church that took off, I don't, I learned not to fear succeeding, uh, failing anymore. I, I fear succeeding in your own power, in your own abilities and talents and thinking it's of Christ because that stuff will blow up because God loves you too much too soon and he loves you a lot. So at Legacy, we get the privilege to teach Christ as life. The people who come to us are people who are being groomed. Why? That's the way God's raising them. So I'm seeing some kind of pattern in the way God's grooming his church, his leaders. And it has to do with emotional health and emotion and relationships. And I'm finding the next step of growth for leaders and pastors is not better ministry preaching and teaching. It's people who are out of touch with their emotions and relationships. They don't know Christ in the depths of those places. And the ministry in the church is, quote unquote, moving forward. But people don't leave churches, they leave people. People don't leave companies, they leave people. And I'm finding Jesus, bar none, 
that's why religiosity and churchianity is taking front seat of Christianity because there's a the church and my privilege of serving and loving and leading many churches don't see emotions and relationships as a discipleship issue and um, they just think of it as you know too touchy-feely and they miss love the Lord with all your heart soul emotional intelligence EQ with all your brain and body IQ and love your neighbor as yourself healthy emotional relationships is the greatest commandment love the Lord with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself sincere honest loving pastors and leaders and CEOs who love God who are out of touch they don't know what they're feeling and thinking they're not Christ aware of what they're doing and it's affecting and infecting the bride of Christ while they're doing ministry impeccably teaching and preaching the word, having Sunday school, doing all the right things. That's right now, that's the place that Jesus is saying, son, I'm going to pour through your heart and legacy. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring and woo. I'm wooing these people in. And I have a, I just love them, sit with them, hear their heart. And little by little, as he gives opportunity, let them do it. Lee and John and many other people have done for me. Help them understand Christ is life. Help them understand that Jesus had emotions, that God created emotions, and that it's a discipleship issue. It's not lacking faith if you're angry at God. It's not lacking faith if you have pain. It's not lacking God to pretend you don't hurt. It's not lacking faith. This is permeating the part of the church and the bride that Jesus has allowed us to serve and love and lay down our lives for. Wow. Wow. Well, Bobby, that you know, it's it, that legacy, our privilege to take our towels and just weep and mm -hmm. hurt and rest with wow. the successful failures, yeah. succeeding in church, succeeding in business and failing miserably emotionally and relationally at the same time. Well, Bobby, it certainly sounds like you are ministering in fields that are white unto harvest just as Jesus said, and I think you bring an extra sensitivity to that because you have gone through the peaks and valleys of leadership. You found what worked, what didn't work, i.e. the flesh didn't work, but you found Christ as life. So it's really a great joy to have you on this show, to hear your story, to hear how you're ministering to leaders. I hope if there are leaders out there that are uh, dying off the vine that they might contact you and you might have an opportunity to speak into their lives the life of Jesus. John, do you have any thoughts for us? No, I would like to ask Bobby one more question. He's used a phrase, towel leadership, several times. I know that's more than just a phrase. Tell us, Bobby, what is towel leadership and where can we get more? Well, I'm, I'm getting ready to launch that book called From Titles to Towels, The Heart of a Servant Leader. And a lot of the things I'll be sharing here that Jesus has been so gracious to begin to show me. It took me eight years to write that book. And I think uh, our very own Frank Friedman was gracious enough to write the forward, the most powerful forward I've ever read. Uh, and uh, boy, it could have been a book in itself, but we're getting ready to launch that. It's you know, Jesus at the end, when he was had his last staff meeting, he says, I got to head out. I think they're all leaning, ready for titles, and they're ready to hear I'm in charge, and I got this church planner guy, and I'm the pastor, and 
I'm going to be the head elder and I'm going to be this guy and I'm going to run half of Jerusalem. And he just grabs a towel, some water and says, I'm going to wash some feet. I'm going to serve you. You know, that's a message, my friend, that is sorely lacking in leadership in practically every arena. So thank you for sharing that with us. And our friends, thanks again for joining this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Our guest this episode and last has been our dear friend, Mr. Bobby Allen, founder and CEO of Legacy Leadership and Coaching. Check him out at LegacyLeadershipAndCoaching.com. You'll find lots of information there about Bobby and what Father has now equipped him to do. Check out our website too, OurResolutHope.com. Take a few moments to browse around. Look at some of the materials we have. Pop us an email. Sign up for our newsletter. Let us know how we can help you. Also follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and a bunch of other arenas for the podcast. And as we close one more time with this reminder from Hebrews 6, that we and you have this hope, a living hope, Peter calls it, a resolute hope as an anchor for our souls. And that hope is not an emotion. It's not a sentiment that emotion is a person or that hope is a person. It's Jesus Christ. So today and always choose hope, and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.